The technology likely to have the greatest impact on the next few decades has arrived. You can start building completely new concepts for payments that we've never thought of. Move the need for a financial intermediary to transact value. Bitcoin and the blockchain have an amazing future. This is going to transform society. Hello there, one and all. How's it going? I hope you're having a really good day. I certainly am. So I just got off the phone with a friend of mine called Raul Sanz, and Raul is from Venezuela. If you've been watching the news recently, you would have seen that there have been some enormous protests in Venezuela, some of the largest in the country's history. And what the people are campaigning against is the dictatorship of President Maduro. In recent years, Venezuela's economy has endured over a million percent inflation and mass unemployment. The aim of today's episode was to invite Raul on to kind of give a history, a brief history of Venezuela and how it got to where it is today, and then provide the case for cryptocurrencies in Venezuela, a country whose monetary policy has just been abysmal throughout the last 30 years and who have seen their currency, the Venezuelan Bolivar, simply go to shits. So this is the case for cryptocurrencies in Venezuela with Raul Sanz. I hope you enjoy it. Hey guys, how's it going? So I'm sat down here with Raul. So Raul's from Venezuela and Raul, you are ironically one of the first people that I got to speak to within the cryptocurrency field. And I think our first podcast, yeah, it did. Our first very podcast featured you. So uh, thanks for coming back onto the show. I just wanted to have you on so we could give a kind of general update of the state of Venezuela because the start of 2019 has been very eventful for for you guys in your country. And um, I wanted to share that with our audience and then discuss the case for cryptocurrencies over there. So yeah, welcome back onto the show. Yeah, uh, thanks, uh, Felix. Thanks for having me, and uh, I'm glad we get to speak again. It's been it's been a few months since the last time we did a podcast, and, and I'm glad to be here again. Good stuff. Yeah, me too. Uh, very thankful to have you. So, before we start, I think it's I think it's going to be very beneficial for our users if we kind of go through a background of Venezuela dating before even before the Chavez days, because from what I've heard from people who have lived there and my dad, who's as you know, he's been traveling there for years now. He says that before the Chavez days, and even in the early days of Chavez, it was Venezuela was a completely different country, and it was one of the most prosperous nations in South America. So yeah, just give a quick background of Venezuela dating back before Chavez, and then what's happened to get to where we are today. Right. So I may I may need to ha- uh, to go back to I don't know 1950s or so. We got out of uh, a dictatorship. Uh, ruled by by a military right wing military in about 1958, and then we started a 40 uh, year period of pure democracy, in which the country uh, did very well. We by uh, 1960 we were already one of the few nations that uh, people wanted to have their money in. It, you know, people today wants to have their money either in euros or in uh, or in pounds or in U.S. dollars. Back in those days, uh, uh, the world was uh, all over Venezuela. We were very prosperous. And then, like I said before, we started a 40-year period of pure democracy uh, between, uh, you know, basically two political parties, uh, right wing and the left wing. And there, there, was, there was democracy, there was uh, elections. And uh, in 19, I'm going to fast forward here, 
we started to do very well with uh, our oil industry was uh, doing good. We were uh, exporting a lot of oil and uh, the country was, you know, doing fine. Uh, in between those years, by 1980 or 1990, there was, you know, we kind of, or, or the rulers, the, you know, the, the presidents back in those days, maybe they forgot that they needed to do more for the people with the wealth that, uh, that the country had. And so um, by 1992, the 4th of February of 1992, there was a coup uh, led by Hugo Chavez. It, it failed and he went to jail. Then in 1996 or 1997, there was a presidential pardon that took him out of jail, him and his gang. And he started to uh, go all over the country saying that he was going to be the next president. And in 1998, he won the election. By that time, Venezuela was uh, already in some economic turmoil, but uh, it wasn't as bad as it is right now. We had a... Inflation was only, I would say, 20% in those days. Uh, today, in, nine, in 2019, we're talking about uh, an inflation rate that's probably too close to 2 million percent in an annual basis. Things are, uh, did get out of hand in the last few years. Uh, then Mr. Chavez, he died in uh, 2013. There were there was some elections held in April of 2013, and Nicolas Maduro won in a very, very suspicious election uh, uh, by a few points, just one point, over the opposition leader, Enrique Capriles. And uh, from there, it's all been going, uh, you know, it's, 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 been, it's been rough in the last five years. They just uh, destroyed the oil industry here, PDVSA, the year 2000, we were getting close to 3.4 million barrels of oil a day. And now we're talking that uh, Venezuela isn't producing more than 1 million. And so uh, that combined with drop in the oil prices, we're talking now that it's around $50 a barrel. And uh, back in 2008 or 2009, it was around $120 a barrel. And right now, Close to 85 or 86% of the people wants Nicolas Maduro out of uh, power. Uh, there's a situation right here, uh, here in Venezuela right now, that it's really confusing for people outside. And uh, I will be more than glad to explain what's happening uh, these uh, last few weeks or last few days. Yeah, definitely. Let's definitely touch on to that. But just to say to our listeners, there, there was a lot of what you said there that I want to touch on later, including the inflation and the elections. But yeah, let's let's talk about more about Juan Guaido and uh, my pronunciation may be wrong there. But yeah, about what's kind of happened in the last few weeks in Venezuela. Okay, so uh, I'm going to try to explain this. It's, it's complicated to explain, but I'm going to do my best. Back in 2008... The, uh, there was supposed to be an election for president. These guys, they, they hold the entire power. So they hold the uh, election, the elections office. They, they started to do a, a national assembly that it's not legal. They hold every single piece 
of office in their power. So what they did was they organized a fake election in May of last year, and the opposition did not go to that election because uh, we knew that it, it was all fake. So obviously Maduro won. There wasn't any, absolutely any conditions to go to that election. And immediately we did not recognize that election. Uh, the United States did not recognize, recognize that election. And many other countries around the world did not recognize the election. So what happens is in uh, January, on the 10th of January, that period of presidency uh, ended and the new president had to take care for this new period 2019 to 2025. And what happens is that his time in office expired on January, uh, the 10th of January. Uh, by the constitution, when you have uh, what we call here uh, an, an, a non-president acting, immediately the president of the legitimate National Assembly, which was elected back in 2015 by probably 14 million people out of 20 that are registered to, uh, to vote, uh, by constitution, the president of the National Assembly needs to take care of office. It clearly says that he has 30 days to organize a new election for president. And so what's been happening here is that for us and for the vast majority of the uh, uh, world, the democratic you know, countries around the world are not recognizing Maduro as the president and are giving their support to the legitimate president as acting president which is one way though and uh man we we are we are here really really surprised about this guy i knew who he was but uh it's a new face he's been giving us hope for the last few weeks and uh i personally think that uh we are gonna get through this in a matter of days because this maduro regime does not have any legitimacy. People does not, does not want him anymore. And so we are determined, we have a plan now, and we are determined to get him out of office. So that's, that's the best way I can, I can summarize the situation here. Yep, absolutely. Well, I, I hope the same. I hope that the situation changes because all of the videos and the images that we've all seen on the news, it's all been really, really powerful to watch. So we all hope for the best. But And I know words can't do it justice, but if you can, for our listeners, give them a bit of perspective of what living in Venezuela for the past five years has been like and how truly catastrophic and devastating it, um, the situation has grown to be. Yeah, uh, well, it's, uh, it's tough. It's tough. Like I said in our last podcast, I think it was in May or something like that. Uh, it's tough. You uh, go through the streets and you see little kids uh, uh, going through the garbage to get something to eat. Uh, me personally, we are very concerned about our own security. Uh, we are uh, very, very, we go very cautiously into where we go, at what time we're going. And what we do here is uh, we always let know 
you know, somebody where we are and what we're going to do in, you know, which place we're, I'm going to be. Uh, and uh, right now with the hyperinflation that it's uh, going on here, it's just tough because uh, you, you need to keep leaving, but uh, you need to be really careful with what you do with your money. Uh, there's been going a situation here for the last, I would say, three or four months where we are having inflation in U.S. dollars, which is unbelievable. And so, uh, and that's because there are not products in the street to buy. So if, we, if let's say, for example, I want to go and buy right now uh, something to eat later, I would say, I don't know, a, a grill or, or something, you know, a piece of meat, probably I will not find it uh, as easily as you should. Uh, and the other thing is that uh, you cannot have money in your bank account because uh, today it may be worth, let's say, $10, but tomorrow it's actually worth a lot less than that because uh, things are, are increasing in price at an unbelievable rate. Uh, I'm talking about if you go one day to a store and you buy something, probably the next, uh, if, and if you go two or three days later, it's, it has doubled in price. Uh, uh, I have had, me personally have had, uh, you know, these experiences where I go to a store and from one day to another, the prices uh, increase by, by, by two or three times sometimes. But hey, we, we still need to leave. We still need to do our lives. My personal bet and, and all of the people that you know still here is that this is gonna change. And we want, we want to be the first here to uh, rebuild the entire country. Uh, that, because that's what's going to happen. Uh, we need to rebuild uh, hospitals, uh, schools. Uh, in my side, you know, on the insurance part, we need to do a lot of things in the insurance uh, uh, business. Uh, uh, the uh, agriculture, it's going to have to be rebuilt. Uh, the PDVSA, which is uh, the, uh, industry, the oil industry, will need to be rebuilt. And there's going to be plenty of opportunity here once we get rid of this uh, dictator and uh, his gang. And uh, I foresee a really bright future for Venezuela. I, I really do. And I really believe that uh, we have the, the, all the means and all the power and all the knowledge and the people to get us out of this deep, very deep hole that uh, these guys uh, get got us in for the last 20 years yeah definitely and i think now's a really i may be wrong in saying this here but i think now's a worthy time to say that venezuela and correct me if i'm wrong has the largest oil reserves in the entire world yes, yes that's absolutely right yeah let's see that's just how a country with the largest oil reserves in the world and the whole world economy functions on oil has sunk to the levels where it has um it's exactly what you said. It needs a big reshuffle. And that's why that's why I thought it would be great to have you on the show today, because a few things that you just touched on there, like the hyperinflation and the inability to store money, um, and I guess kind of the incompetencies of the government, 
basically what I'm wondering is, is there a use case or is there a use case for cryptocurrencies and decentralized digital currencies in Venezuela? And can they support and try and help the revolution that you're seeking? So just to state and summarize the benefits of cryptocurrencies and linking them to the traits that would benefit Venezuela. Firstly, they're free and safe to store. They're private. They're unconfiscatable. They're censorship resistant. And they're and most, and in my opinion, most importantly, they're inflation resistant because they have a set maximum supply. So do you think cryptos can be an alternative store of value for Venezuelans? And do you think that they'll have a part to play in um, in the restructuring of Venezuela's economy? Yes, yes, absolutely. I've been thinking about this for the last few weeks. And uh, here's, here's, here's the thing. That hyperinflation or inflation is created when you make money out of thin air. So what these guys are doing to uh, finance themselves is, uh, and, and to finance the country, uh, is uh, print, they just print bolivars uh, out of thin air at an unbelievable rate. And that means that people in Venezuela have a lot more money in their pockets, which is worth nothing to buy things. But since it's worth nothing, then you need to print more money to get them in their pockets. And then you print more money and then it's worth less and then less and less. And they need to, and they've been doing that, uh, like I said, at an unbelievable rate in the last few years. And that's what's, ca what's uh, causing the hyperinflation. Talking about Bitcoin and uh, talking about uh, digital currencies, I absolutely think that that's the perfect way or it matches perfectly with uh, what we're saying and with what we're talking about uh, the hyper the, the inflation and uh, why because all the properties that uh, you just mentioned about bitcoin and the fact that you cannot produce out of thin air more bitcoin there's a limited supply i think right now we're uh, close to seven or 17.5 million bitcoin uh, and the supply is going to be 21 million if you had your national reserves in Bitcoin, you could solve so many problems uh, really fast. I, I do believe that uh, that needs to happen. But uh, since the prices of Bitcoin and, and all the digital currencies are being going down in this massive bear market for the last year, uh, right now people does not want to uh, have anything to do with Bitcoin. But I do believe that uh, at some point, maybe by the end of this year, next year, price of Bitcoin are going to uh, skyrocket again. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see some countries storing their reserves in Bitcoin. Uh, I absolutely think that may happen. And, uh, and uh, for, for the Venezuelan case, that would be, that would be unbelievable. Yeah, so one thing that you just mentioned there that I find... I'm not sure if, if this is bad of me, but I find it particularly humorous. You mentioned how governments in the future in Venezuela would benefit from having Bitcoin as reserves. And just a few weeks ago, we saw Maduro try to redeem gold and Venezuela's gold reserves from the Bank of England, but they refused his offer. And it, it, begs, it begs the question, would it be more beneficial and would it be easier for Maduro to store his nation's wealth 
via something as easy as private keys where he can access them at whim rather than having to store them in London. Yes, absolutely. I read an article about two weeks ago uh, saying exactly what you're saying. Uh, if he had uh, all of the reserves, instead of having it in oil, if he would have had it in Bitcoin, uh, the U.S. government wouldn't uh, be able to uh, freeze all the bank accounts. Uh, and uh, that one, 1. 1.2 billion in uh, gold that he tried to redeem a few days ago from the Bank of England, he wouldn't need permission, permission from the Bank of England. Private keys on a computer uh, would have been more than enough to, uh, to uh, uh, move that money or to redeem that money. And that tells you how powerful Bitcoin is and uh, where it could go. Obviously, in this case, uh, I am very glad he didn't have uh, any Bitcoin uh, because he was going to stall them. He, he was going to steal them, uh, steal all that money, as they usually do. That makes the question for the future. I mean, if it's uh, censorship resistant and unconfiscatable, uh, we need to pay attention to that. And like I said, I think there are going to be countries uh, within the near future that are going to start to use Bitcoin as their national reserve. And uh, that will be great for the countries that, that, makes them, that, that makes that move. I hope uh, Venezuela jumps in that because uh, that will solve uh, a lot of problems uh, economically inside the country. Yep. So, Raul, just as a side note there, have you read, I'm going to get his name wrong here, but Saif Dean Amus's book, it's uh, all about Bitcoin, it's called The Bitcoin Standard, and uh, what it essentially explores is the case for Bitcoin replacing or becoming something in the world as influential, like the gold standard, and how uh, different central banks around the world will have their reserves in Bitcoin. Have you have you read it? Because I highly recommend it. I haven't read it. I, I, I haven't read the entire thing. I have, you know, taken a glance at it. I would be lying if, if I said I, I, I have read the entire uh, Bitcoin standard. I, I will, uh, now that you say, uh, now that you mention it, uh, I will, you know, read it within the next few days. Brilliant. Well, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic read. So we've, we've just detailed that Venezuela could definitely benefit from the traits of un unconfiscatability, censorship resistance, inflation resistance and the fact that they're free and very safe to store. So what are the main constraints or what are the main reasons why Venezuelans aren't using cryptocurrencies? People around the world, not only Venezuela, are still a little uh, skeptical about Bitcoin, especially, like I said before, with this massive, massive bear market. Uh, it's, it's, you know, people just not want to get close to it right now. But I think that that will change. I mean, that, I think that will change within the next one or two years. We will see some countries starting to, you know, get their hands in Bitcoin. And that's, that's where Bitcoin will be valued a lot. I have seen here in Venezuela, a little stores or places or even restaurants that do accept Bitcoin. And uh, I have seen some accepting Dash. The other day, I was I just wanted I just wanted a coke, <laughs> I just wanted a soda, and I stopped in a little store, and uh, he accepted Bitcoin. The the guy that you know the, the owner accepted Bitcoin, and I, I talked to him a little bit about it, and 
I was surprised to hear that he gets paid in Bitcoin every now and then. And so, you, you know, you have, you have some kind of movement around it right now. But uh, once, once we get out of this bear market, people's going to start paying more attention uh, to Bitcoin like, we, like it was happening back in 2017. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the purchasing power of Bitcoin over the past few years is uh, something that I imagine most Venezuelans would love to uh, would love to have their wealth in because as we've seen with the Bolivar, just the, the wealth that people stored in the Bolivar to what it is today it's it's just completely shattered and people's life savings have gone. But um, I, I guess I guess one of the other main constraints of Bitcoin is, and this isn't only for Venezuela. This is across the entire globe. It's just a lack of education. Um, but like you said, that will come in the next few years as um, infrastructure is set in place and as people learn more. But uh, that that also relates. Your government have kind of done a bit of a bit of promotion for cryptocurrencies with the Petro, which is their own uh, state funded. Well, I want to say cryptocurrency, but it's not really a cryptocurrency, is it? Right. It's not. It's not. It's just uh, they created that uh, Petro thing again to steal. I mean, they, they, they needed to get around the U.S. sanctions and they created this Petro thing. If they wanted to get around the U.S. sanctions, they could go through Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, it was as simple as that. But through Bitcoin, uh, it, it was not going to be very easy for them to to steal money. So they... They tried to do this petrol thing, and it was like I said in our last podcast a few months ago. It was it was fake. I mean, it was it was an absolute uh, uh, scam, uh, and I'm glad nobody around the world uh, bought that thing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the the fact that it's clearly not decentralized, but yet likes to call itself as a cryptocurrency is a is a brilliant juxtaposition, but. Let's let's go back to something that you mentioned earlier. You mentioned the the corruption involved in Venezuela within the voting system and other pillars of the government. So what do you think? Well, actually, let's provide a bit of context. So before this podcast, I was doing a bit of reading and I came across a country, uh, country a company called Secure Vote. So Secure Vote are a decentralized voting mechanism company or project. I'm not sure what they are. I'm not sure what their team would do. Uh, refer to themselves as but basically what they boast is a transparent and anonymized ledger and um, they claim that they can scale to receive millions of votes per second so basically my question is do you think that a decentralized voting system and other government systems like secure vote or a decentralized transparent tax system could be valuable for venezuela at some point in the future Absolutely, absolutely, and and you just you just said the key right there. It's got to be in the future. Uh, the country is, you know, it's in ruins, and we need to go from you know from zero. We need to uh, build it from you know from the ground up. Uh, the next vote, I think that the next vote need to be needs to be manually, with all the you know people involved. We're gonna need international help. Uh, to make sure that everything goes uh, as clean as possible. But absolutely, in the future, I would love to see uh, some of these offices that, that, that you're talking about and companies that you're talking about. Uh, I think I read something about some country in uh, Southeast Asia that made uh, a, a voting. They, they did have a vote sometime you know, earlier back in, in January 
and they used uh, these systems that you're talking about. So I think that I think the world will move towards that. But in the case of Venezuela, we're long from. I mean, we are we are miles from there. We need to go from zero. And uh, like I said, I mean, people do not have anything to eat. Probably right now there are, I would say, five to six million people that don't know what they're going to eat today. And so you cannot be talking about decentralized uh, uh, things and because, because they just wouldn't understand. They, they, they just want something to eat right now. Uh, and it's as, as sad as it sounds. Uh, but yeah, definitely, definitely, not only in Venezuela, but uh, all over the globe. I think we're going, we're going to that. So you, you've just put an interesting thought in my mind. And in a utopian world, I think it would be brilliant in the future if Venezuela could follow in the footsteps of restructuring their country, kind of like Israel after the intifadas there and the the civil wars in the 60s, 70s, and I think they ended in the 80s, if my history doesn't mistake me. But basically, the country was torn to ruins and their economy, um, yeah, it was very unstable. So what they did was they doubled down on technology and started investing huge into technology. And now they're one of the leaders in fintech, and they have some of the strongest and fastest Wi-Fi networks in the world. And generally, they're very technologically advanced and we've seen a we've seen kind of Estonia do this also Estonia in a northern Europe became the first country in the world to allow voting online and that was back in 2008 even and now even on their digital ID cards they have a bunch just on their ID cards they have a pin or a chip on the back of it and with that chip government officials can uh, look at their passport records their driving license their just a bunch of information about them and a bunch of data about them. And it's all stored on a decentralized uh, system. So like a blockchain, I'm not sure if it is a blockchain because that word is, it's extremely hard to define nowadays. So I don't want to call it a blockchain, but I know that they store it on a decentralized system. So it would be awesome to see if Venezuela could follow in the footsteps of Estonia and take inspiration from Estonia and um, from Israel. Yes, yes, absolutely. Like I, like I said before, we need to rebuild from zero and we are gonna do it in every single aspect uh, that we can technology oil uh, insurance sector uh, bank sector agriculture uh, construction uh, tourism we need to, we need to go from zero and uh, the best part of this is that for the last few days I've been hearing people that uh, have their own projects in how they are gonna help uh, to rebuild the country. So I heard uh, a friend of mine that it's in the construction business presented a very good project to a team of uh, President Waido, and he's working towards that. And I've heard uh, a doctor doing the same thing. In our case, me and my people are doing the same thing. So once we get rid of this uh, uh, gang of drug dealers and uh, uh, thugs, the amount of money that it's going to come to Venezuela, uh, I think it's going to be brutally high. And uh, like I said, if we do things well, which we can, and we have uh, the knowledge to, we're going to rebuild this thing. And, and I would say that in, in three or four years, 
uh, we're going to start uh, seeing the results and uh, we're going to have, we're going to get this country back in its feet and to be what uh, it really needs to be. Yeah. And I guess one benefit that you guys have as a country is that I don't want to stereotype here, but you're very passionate and very patriotic people. And like you just touched on there, you all want to do what's best for Venezuela in the future. And if, um, if decentralization can improve upon the exploitation and the, the abuse of centralization that Venezuela has endured within the last 50 years or so, um, well, 50, no, that may be a bit of a stretch there. But um, yeah, you, you got the picture. That would be absolutely fantastic. Are you, good to, uh, are you good to finish with a quick fire Q&A session? Sure. Brilliant. So in your opinion, Raul, what is the crypto company or blockchain or cryptocurrency related company doing the most in Venezuela and surrounding regions? Uh, here in Venezuela is Dash for sure. Okay, so what are what are Dash doing? Like like you said, they're setting up payment options. They they do a lot of promotion. I mean, they do a lot of promotion. They have a, a team here that uh, goes around uh, schools and uh, uh, universities actually, and they talk a lot about uh, benefits of cryptocurrency and specifically Dash. And uh, you know, people just is, is setting up the uh, the, the the way to get paid in Dash and uh, they, are, they are doing a lot here. Okay, so obviously this is, uh, this is anything but financial advice. So in 365 days time, do you think that the market cap of the cryptocurrency market will be above what it is today? And I, I haven't checked today, but I'm guessing it's around 120 billion USD. So yeah, do you think that in a year's time it will be higher than where it is today? Uh, I would say so. Yeah, I would say so. I would say that uh, I would say that sometime the next two or three months we are are gonna hit capitulation. Uh, I think Bitcoin will get down somewhere to around seventeen hundred dollars, and then from there we're gonna bounce. I absolutely think that uh, in 365 days, Bitcoin's going to be, or, or the entire market cap uh, will be uh, higher than $120 billion. I hope so too, Raul. I'll, um, I'll have to get you on the show in a year's time and we'll have to look at look at that prediction and see if we're laughing at it or, or what, because um, given the past 12 months, that, that could be... That could be off, but we don't know. Let, let's be optimistic and hope for the best. Here's a good thought about that. In uh, May, in May of 2020, it's the next halving. I don't yep. know if you heard about that. Uh, uh, in May of 2020, the uh, percentage of inflation in Bitcoin, based on how many you can produce a day, the miners can produce a day, it's going to drop to less of two uh, percent. That's going to be less inflation for the first time in Bitcoin than it is right now in the, in, uh, the US dollar, uh, which is somewhere around 2%. Uh, that's going to be interesting. And that's why I say that in, in a year, in 365 days, Bitcoin's going to be worth more than $3,600, which is what we stand by right now. Brilliant. Okay, well, Raul, thank you so much for, for taking your time out of your Sunday to come and talk um, about crypto in Venezuela with us. It's been really, really insightful and I've learned a lot. So thank you so much. Is there 
is there anywhere that you want to plug like a website or a Twitter where people can find more about you? Yes. My, uh, Twitter is, uh, R sans Arcaya and, uh, I could, I'd be more than glad to answer questions and interact with uh, whomever needs more explanation of what's happening here. And uh, we, for the days to come, I mean, there are going to be there are going to be some rough days uh, in the near future, but we're going to get out of this. Yep, I hope so too. Well, Raúl, once again, thank you so much. Y un abrazo muy fuerte para tú y tu familia. Y os espero lo mejor. Thank you, Felix, and thanks for having me. And uh, uh, gracias por la por la palabra. Y, y aquí seguimos. Thanks, man. <laughs> Bye.